0: Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
1: Well, thank you, sir. Good afternoon. Welcome. 17th day of... January, and uh, good to have you on board as we are here during um, this important pro-life month. Here's uh, typically marked historically the tragic anniversary of the Roe versus Wade decision. Now, of course, celebratory in uh, more encouraging fashions. We'll talk about that later on in tonight's program. Right now, though, I want to get down to cases. If you hadn't paid attention yesterday, uh, we warned you the political season of 2024 was going to be unleashed upon us shortly After the first of the year, and that indeed has taken place with the first round of the Iowa caucuses. And um, of course, from there, it's on to New Hampshire next week and on down the road we head. March the 5th, I believe. Let me check on that, but I believe um, primary in California, yes, indeed, will be March the 5th. And as we sort of take a look at what's in the year ahead leading into the November general election, let's take a look at what happened yesterday. And the early weeks here of voting in 2024 in the primaries, as we are joined by the founder and president of Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Joyce, welcome. Well, thanks for the invite. I suppose no big surprises um, with the caucus. I mean, I, I almost found it a bit disingenuous how um, some news services have suggested that this was just, you know, an absolute uh, killing by President Trump and so on and so forth. But when when you take a look at the group that was running against him, I don't know, I've I've long felt that there was more more a series of people that were applying for the vice president's job than truly running against uh, the former president. Your thoughts?
2: I, I uh, Number one, I was with the 99.6% of Iowans who uh, were watching the Buccaneers just slaughter the Eagles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it, it really does come down to, I did the math, it is less than four-tenths of 1% of the folks who live in Iowa who voted for Trump. And about an equal number who voted for the other, as I like to call them, pygmies in the race. All right. There is the, the big problem is that everybody saw Trump as being so formidably in charge of the Republican Party. Um, a year and a half ago, when um, all of this started, um, when the, the Iowa caucus Began that none of the people who you and I would be thrilled to support decided to take on the race. They said to themselves, We're young enough, we're popular governors, we can wait until 28. Okay? And, and so that took Chris Nunu and uh, Gwen Duncan out of the out of the running early on. Both of them tested the waters. Both of them said, mm, yeah, "I'm a sitting governor. I got too much to do. Can't can't overcome the Iowa problem. You have to spend a year and a half of your life in Iowa. I mean, Florida's been without a governor for a year.
1: This is true."
2: And, and look what it showed. Less than 50,000 people. And, you know, the weather, these people are used to that kind of weather. One of the things that Trump did, and we should all take note of as we move through this process. One of the things that the Trump campaign did, they have some real professionals this time, uh, was they had a great ground game. So they got their people out. They had four-wheel drives and other sorts of, you know, snow-resistant vehicles, and they got their people out. The few moments that I watched on CNN and MSNBC and Fox, as I kind of floated around and said, it's amazing how something... That is ninety nine point six percent of Iowans did not participate in can cover twelve you know, over six hours of television. Now, I'm all of that said, I think Trump is the prohibitive favorite to be the Republican nominee. Barring unforeseen circumstances. I don't, you know, uh, and, and we only have a half hour tonight, so let's not, if a want to could have, should have. All right. I think we'll see more in New Hampshire because it's a, it's a ballot. It's a secret ballot. It's not, you getting up in front of your neighbor. Um, I don't think that will change much of anything. I think Trump will come in with about half the vote. Um, Nikki Haley might get thirty percent, much of that being crossover vote from independents who can choose to vote in the Republican primary in New Hampshire. And you see, you know, I'm I'm led to that to that conclusion by the fact that Chris Sununu, who is the governor, very popular governor of of uh New Hampshire, very, very talented uh guy, um, we could the country could do a lot worse. Um, and he backed uh, instead of backing his old friend Chris Christie, he backed Nikki Haley because uh, he thinks of of you know uh, shooting stars. She was the better shooting star. So you can see in his remarks and his activity in New Hampshire already, that he was an early out person out there saying, "Well, we can't renominate Trump." Right? Well, you see him backing off from that position now. So, uh, I'm, you know, you know me, I'm, I'm not, I bet sometimes, but not if it's a true long shot. Um, I don't know if I give you odds on the Niners over the Packers on, Sun- on Saturday, although the odds makers say it's a 10-point uh, advantage to San Francisco, um... But I would give you a better better odds than that that Trump hits that 50 percent mark in new hampshire at which point
1: it's all over yeah you know i've always wondered you look at some of these smaller states that really are not representative of um blue america nor red america they're kind of halfway in between in some cases i mean iowa certainly more conservative than california but we're not talking about a a a major thriving metropolis here that's going to give you a real accurate look at the way things things might head, which has always made me wonder why there has long been this sense that, well, dependent upon how the, the candidates do in the first couple of runs will determine whether or not they stay in for the long haul, as if somehow to suggest that the vote the way it went at the caucus was not, A, predictable, and B, somehow indicative of where things are going to be going in the near future. What are your thoughts on that, Joyce? You're,
2: you're absolutely right. One. I would, I don't believe you should let a state or two states have a year in which everybody has to come and press the flesh and blah, blah, blah. And these are very small, demographically homogeneous states, right? Why, why do these two states get a year, year and a half? California doesn't even get a visit. and And we are, you know, uh, almost 11, we are eleven times the population of Iowa, and we are definitely a, a much more diverse state. We're also the fourth richest economy in the entire world, and how we vote on on Super Tuesday uh, means nothing in either of these primaries. You know, I mean, I would like another line in the whole one two two points one. I think we should have regional primaries. It shouldn't just be Iowa. It should be the upper Midwest. On one night in January, let's test the waters. Let's see what's a larger, and it should be a ballot, not a caucus. I I think caucuses are are acts of intimidation, all right? I think we should have like four big regional primaries. I think we would get a more accurate a, cond- uh, a sense of where the nation is the other thing that i would say is that um you know the the quality of candidates is such that i would like a third line on the ballot neither of them uh, 77% of americans would pick that line
1: yeah, I, I'm afraid you're right. And as we've looked at some of the early um, uh, pollsters, and while I don't put much weight into them because we've seen historically how horrifically inaccurate they really are, uh, there's been an overwhelming sense uh, this go around that if indeed that line existed on the ballot, that a good percentile, both Republican and Democrat, would check none of the above. Give me another choice, um, which is perhaps indicative of the direction that our nation has been headed in for a good long while. If you've just joined us, Joyce Cordy with us on the first segment of tonight's program, talking about the events of the day, of course, just on the heels of uh, the Iowa caucuses, New Hampshire votes next week. And one of the issues, too, I want to talk about when we come back is get some insights in terms of the meeting going on, the 54th annual World Leaders of the World Economic Forum meeting in Davos, Switzerland this week, um, the implications of all of that and how how much of their discussions are surrounding not just core economic issues, but the impact of a couple of major political issues that have the potentiality of impacting economies across the globe. That, of course, being the war in the Middle East right now and the war between Russia and Ukraine. We'll get to more of our conversation. Joyce Cordy with us, the founder and president of Reimagine America online at reimagineamerica.org. That's Reimagine imagineamerica.org. dot A time out. Back with more right after this.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: World leaders, top officials, those in the money world at the top end of the uh, spectrum are all meeting this week in Davos, Switzerland for the 54th Annual World Economic Forum. Undoubtedly, Joyce Cordy from Reimagine America. One of the big topics has to be what's going on in both Gaza and the Ukraine. Oddly, one of the issues that's not being discussed, and I'm a little bit surprised, but maybe given some of the current uh, political Um, propensities in the United States, maybe not so. But the fact that there's very little discussion, um, even if we've marked 100 days since this um, skirmish began, that there's still 130 hostages being held by Hamas, and of those eight are Americans. And yet, that's not being discussed.
2: Uh, We're not seeing a lot of publicity. Again, this is the media. You know, sometimes when you have an hour, we ought to just throw around a conversation about the media. You know, I mean, the fact that they could spend five hours on on 0.4 percent of the population of Iowa should tell us something. But um, you know, the the hostage issue is. Intense and at the center of why the Israelis are relatively intransigent about this, um, about with with you know slowing down their momentum um, in in Gaza, and and I think it's a two edged sword. Um, you're absolutely right. Uh, Biden should be pushing harder on the Arab nations who have connections, but the problem is all of our friends are Sunnis and the Iranians are Shia, and the Iranians are throwing their weight around all over the place, that being a little bit um, off the topic. I, I think you're right that within the Israeli population, the hostage issue is intense within the united states issue um i think that blinken is doing everything he can but there is um there is increasingly it's it's an increasingly difficult situation for the united states there was a hostage video this week and while on a couple of stations they did mention it uh, they showed still pictures. They wouldn't show the, the hostage videos um, on American television. I wonder if that's good or bad. I mean, as you know, I have very mixed feelings about the way in which Israel has reacted to Hamas's obvious provocation. And, oh, by the way, for all of you who are so sorrowful for the incredible casualties in Gaza... Um, the Hamas knew what was going to happen. They knew what killing 1,200 Israelis and they wanted to kill more would, would precipitate, um, and and the consequences for the people they claim to govern. So when you are dealing with
1: murderers
2: um, and rogues. I'm not sure how to solve the problem, but you're right from a compassionate point of view. I want to see more humanitarian aid. My heart goes out to the innocents in Gaza, and there are millions of them, okay? And my heart goes out to the hostages and their families. But I don't know what Biden could do now that he has
1: not done. Yeah, and I don't know how much of it is really in our hands. I mean, you know, you 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 made the point, uh, Joyce, accurately so that that Hamas should have been able to readily predict what the response would be. Um, Israel historically has always uh, responded with full force, recognizing the fact that they largely stand alone in that part of the world, and if they don't put down uh, these sorts of attacks in a a very forceful fashion um it could be the end of israel as we know it and so there should be no surprise there maybe maybe the biggest surprise to the west that's also not getting much coverage by the media in addition to the 130 hostages that remain at this moment, in Hamas's hands, including eight Americans, is the fact that leadership there have been living like kings to the tune of apparently some values uh, in the billions of dollars of net worth, while largely most of the occupants of Gaza live so far below the poverty line it's not even ridiculous. And I just wonder how many um, Gaza residents were ever really fully aware of the broad degree of. Dis- between their standard of living and the standard of living of Hamas leadership.
2: Oh, absolutely we're not, okay? Plus, it wouldn't matter. Hamas is not a democratically elected, democratically governing body. They're terrorists, and they terrorize their own people. Um, And there is no love lost between Hamas and the people of the Palestinian people of Gaza, and so when the Israelis indiscriminately bomb, they're just pushing the innocents in the middle into the arms of Hamas, and they're empowering the fringy, fringy, fringiest of the Palestinian movement in this country, Uh, and and all of this was utterly predictable if you think 1200 Israelis murdered that's like 9-11 330,000 Americans instead of 3,000 Americans and 3,000 Americans were killed and what did we do we sent those B 52s to bomb the you know what out of an already feudal
1: Afghanistan and, and put ourselves into the longest running war even even overshadowing that of Vietnam uh, to uh, to quote unquote deal with the problem. Hey Joyce, and one we final
2: deal with the
1: problem. Yeah, right. Or at least to attempt to or pretend like we were. Uh, final question for you before time runs out. Uh, this has been a perennial topic that I know gets under your skin as much as it does mine. And And that is, here we are yet once again, talk about another looming economic deadline here and uh, the need for Congress to, quote unquote, quickly pass legislation to keep the government funded. How long are we going to continue to allow these people in Washington, D.C. to get away with this game, not do their job and then hold it like a knife over the heads of whatever party sits in the White House or whatever party controls Congress?
2: Well, let me, let me start that by quoting Jamie Dimon uh, on Squawk Box this morning, uh, and you can find it on the Squawk Box podcast, uh, talking about Ukraine uh, and our obligation there um, and the necessity, the economic necessity, the prevention of World War III, etc. And he said, I think I'm going to write an essay about America in 2050. Now, there's a man who should be president, okay? If he were president, we wouldn't be at the precipice of another government shutdown on Friday. We are dealing once again with the loudest and the least capable members of both parties, the crazies on the extreme who cannot find compromise. Uh, so what stands between us and a government shutdown on Saturday Is whether Mike Johnson believes that Hakeem Jeffries is really going to save him from losing his speakership by giving him votes uh, after the question gets called by the the Freedom Caucus. All right, that that's what that's what we have for a government, folks. So as we go to the polls, we need to start to elect people who are capable of compromise, who will tell you how to fix the problem. You know, when you go to the polls, you make a hiring decision. So I want to ask you, would you rehire 98% of these people who have sat in Congress for four, six, eight, ten, twenty 10, 20 years? I wouldn't.
1: No, absolutely not. And then when you consider how we're able to see almost the entire nation held hostage by the likes of the junior representative from Georgia who was threatening Mike Johnson that if there's any negotiations whatsoever, hang the matter of when the necessity to keep the federal government up and running. If there's any negotiations with the other side or compromise whatsoever, that uh, she will pull the trigger to to have him removed from the seat in a summarily fashion the way the last occupant from Southern California was removed from that seat. And I think the notion of of the junior rep from Georgia being able to have that much control over the entire nation, pretty frightening. Joyce Cordy, founder of Reimagine America. Short time today. We'll have to do a full hour next time, Joyce. We always appreciate the time and your um, thought-provoking insights. Joyce Cordy, reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right,
1: welcome back to the conversation, five thirty-five from KFAX. And uh, as we turn a corner, discussion with an old longtime friend here. Uh, I don't mean old in, in a sort of over the hill kind of way, <laughs> but old in terms of uh, going back many, many years. And of course, you are undoubtedly very familiar with Brad Dakis, perhaps also to the work of the Pacific Justice Institute. And you think, well. A lot of what he does is he comes on the program with Craig and updates Craig about cases and circumstances and situations around the state, around the union that relate to largely freedom of of religion um, topics, but but certainly others within that sort of broader framework. Um, But maybe you don't really understand some of the history of Pacific Justice Institute and the phenomenal impact that it has been having for the better part of my goodness. Brad, what is it? It's got to be 25, 30 years now do i dare say
3: yeah over 30 or over 25 years uh we at pacific justice institute have been representing people uh defending religious freedom parents rights the sanctity of human life all without charge and you know craig we, we we now have seven offices in california and we are leading the charge in this area to do this very important work,
1: absolutely. Uh, and you know, and maybe you course. can spend a moment for people that that uh, maybe have heard you for many many years and have never fully clearly understood um, the goal, the purpose behind Pacific Justice Institute. Just just take a moment, if you would, kind of give the uh, the elevator talk, as they call it. Right, you meet somebody in the elevator, they say, "So who do you? Who are you, and what do you do?" Kind of give us that that sort of encapsulated look at, at the impact that Pacific Justice Institute has been having all
3: these years. Yeah, well, well, thank you. Yeah, we're we're very unique in that we don't just cherry-pick a few high-profile cases across the country. Uh, We're unique in that our goal is to make sure that everyone gets help, that no one's left on the side of the road. And, of course, we do our work without charge. So we're unique in that we we really want to make sure everyone gets help. Uh, In addition to that, we have a real ministry heart. In addition to that, uh, we have more offices coast-to-coast now, 36 offices in 29 states. Uh, or, or 20, 27 states doing this work. And, uh, it's really making a big, big difference, um, for, for, for the kingdom. Uh, people, uh, you know, pastors being clearly prosecuted for sharing the gospel in public places. People massively losing their jobs because of the religious convictions about, uh, you know, in the, in the workplace, about whether it's pronouns or required vaccines. Um, you know, uh, parents' rights to defend their kids or to homeschool their kids. And, um, and business owners' rights to live their faith. Uh, we're, uh, we're we're just uh, and then parents uh, wanting to protect their kids and not have them taken by social workers uh, when they shouldn't be. Um, churches not wanting to shut down. Uh, these are just some of the issues that we we faced, and it's it's a joy to to do so. Uh, and our cases are growing, they're increasing, and uh, it's made, we're uh, we're really working hard to continue the call and. sure everyone's
1: getting help. And it's important, I think, for people to have a proper perspective that, yes, we all understand that we have certain rights um, that are enshrined, that are codified in either the the U.S., the federal constitution or the state level constitution. But don't think just because the Constitution says it and guarantees it that it's always going to be respected. And you're absolutely right. The number of cases where uh, an employer might completely ignore those constitutional rights or a local municipality or a branch of government or a school or whatever the case might be, whoever might be on the end of disrespecting and disregarding those rights, while it is true that they are Guaranteed that they are enshrined, that they are codified in constitutional law. When those rights are violated, what do you do? Do you call nine one one? Well, of course not. You need legal representation, and 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 there often becomes, I think, Brad, the real problem that for many people they say, well, if I feel as if my rights have been trampled upon, and as I read and understand the Constitution and look at how I was mistreated, they certainly have been. But then where do I go for relief? Who who do I find that's going to speak up on my behalf? I I don't know how to get in front of the boss and say, look, you better not treat me like this. Um, And and so at the end of the day, who do you call? And the answer in this case is Pacific Justice Institute.
3: Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, That's who they need to call. Um, You know, I, I tell people, you know, once again, like, you know, they don't have to have the perfect case. You know that's going to look really great in the media or set precedent or case law. Uh, They just need to fall in our mission mission area: religious freedom, parents' rights against the government, the sanctity of human life, all human life. And uh, and we step up and we we take on these cases. Um, It's um, it's important people know we are there and they can contact us. We're very down to earth, and uh, our goal is you know it's it's impressive. and yet uh, god is blessing us to to make sure that we're meeting that goal and in times like now today like we're living in now it's it's more important than ever, without a doubt.
1: And of course, people hear multiple offices in California, multiple offices across the nation, and the word "attorney," and they immediately think, "Ah, well, there's the rub." Okay, so they do this great, wonderful, fine work, but I don't have a money pit in the backyard that I can go dig a hundred grand out of to go out and hire an attorney to represent me after I've lost my job because they wouldn't give me an accommodation to go to church on Sunday or whatever the case might be. And the beautiful part about what What Pacific Justice Institute does is their representation is pro bono. Explain what that means, if you would, counselor for the novice out there.
3: Yeah, that means uh, it's without charge, so there's no money out of pocket uh, for anyone we represent at any time. Um, And that's not easy, but it's because of moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas out there, and a growing number of churches that ask their mission uh, statement that uh, enable us to do what we do, and their support is so pivotal uh, especially as we continue to uh, to make making sure everyone everyone's getting help.
1: Absolutely, and so so folks to clearly understand if you pick up the phone and say, look, here's the situation that I'm facing, and Pacific Justice Institute says, yeah, you 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 indeed are are on the victim side of this equation. Uh, we're going to stand with you. We're going to make a difference for you, and so we're going to take on your case. Uh, they're not going to send you a bill. They're not going to ask for payment, and uh, as they do that work pro bono. That doesn't mean that everybody works for free and the the courts let us file for free. No. Uh, the system of justice, of course, in America is a big one, a slow one, a sure one, but also an expensive one. So the way that burden of those uh, expenses are, are met is by all of us shouldering the burden and standing together and standing with Pacific Justice Institute. And uh, there are literally tens of thousands of individuals as well as even church groups Groups that say, hey, we value what you're doing. You're fighting for us. So let's make sure that you have the necessary resources to do so. So it is the collective contributions of folks all across America that support the ongoing work of the Pacific Justice Institute. And I might mention, um, Brad, as a lot of folks who kind of think, well, you know, giving is done and, and everything has been kind of handled through the end of the year. But the good news is that there is a special matching grant. Um, that has been made available. Um, Some benefactors of Pacific Justice Institute that believe so strongly in what you do that they've said, hey, go out and raise some money and we're going to help match that so we can make sure that no one who calls Pacific Justice Institute is turned away because the resources are not available. Toward that end, if folks want to step up here at the first of the year and uh, get the year off right by uh, standing with the Pacific Justice Institute, how can they get involved?
3: Yeah, and in fact, we're matching month-to-month monthly supporters, uh, not just one month, but for the all 12 months of 2024. It's a great, great opportunity for those who want to become monthly supporters as well. Just go to pji.org or pacificjustice.org, pacificjustice.org.
1: And uh, you can give your gift safely and securely online. And those contributions, they are are tax-deductible, are they? 100% tax deductible. Wow. So that's got to be music to your ears. We think about tax season coming up around the corner. And uh, as you think about uh, your uh, your budget, um, think, too, about your giving, making sure that you are planting those seeds in the places where they'll have the greatest impact. And, of course, if you get the added benefit of um, some tax deductibility, that helps even more so. So, um, again, matching grant, including matching for those that would say, hey, I can't give one big huge gift but I can give a monthly commitment they will be matched on a month to month basis as well. So go online, get more information about the ongoing work of the Pacific Justice Institute and most importantly step up to the plate here in January. PJI.org, Pacific Justice Institute, PJI.org Our thanks to the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute who um, amazingly passed his bar exam at the age of 12. Uh, he's been at this for a while he's still a young kid (laughs) brad day hey counselor as always we appreciate your time i gotta say that because we've known each other for so many years if i don't stand and say nice things about him um, then he'll tell everybody how old i am and then then we'll really be in trouble
0: (laughs) and now back to lifeline with craig roberts
1: take a look around you Be it the events taking place in the front pages of the newspapers every day or maybe what's going on in your own community, in your own home, we seem to be filled with nothing but turmoil. Couples fighting and divorcing, children acting out, violence spilling out into the streets. All related, if you think about it, to one common core issue. The one thing that so many of these troubling events in society in general or in your home in specific that seem to have in common. And that is anger. The Bible reminds us to be angry but sin not. But what exactly does that mean? How can we identify the source of our anger and then learn how to surrender it to God as opposed to simply surrendering to anger, which seems to be for most of us a much easier path. We're joined now by June Hunt. A delight to have you on the program.
4: Great to be with you, Craig. Thank you.
1: Boy, this issue of anger, it doesn't seem as if we have to look very far. It spills out into the front pages of the newspaper every single day. And sadly, many American homes are, are almost consumed like a fire by it anger. But what is this this source of anger? How do we go about identifying what anger is, where it's coming from, so that we can learn how to, how to control it as opposed to it controlling us?
4: Uh, great question. And by the way, nobody wants to be controlled by something else, especially when it can cause a horrible reaction from others. But anger is a strong emotion of, of irritation or agitation that occurs when a need or expectation is not met. And yet what we have to realize, okay, we have... At times, anger, because as you already said, the Bible says, be angry, but do not sin. So, this is a part of the the problem. Uh, Many people, in fact, if I were to uh, ask a a large group, how many of you believe that uh, anger is a sin? Many hands would go up, but yet, would God give us the ability and give us uh, uh, the command uh, be angry but do not sin if anger was always sinful obviously the answer is no so that's why it's important to figure out what on earth to do because there's a caution Proverbs twenty nine twenty two. you know the book of wisdom is Proverbs and the Bible says an angry man stirs up dissension and a hot tempered one commits many sins so there's a difference between feeling anger versus being an angry
1: person. So it's a legitimate feeling, and we see cases throughout Scripture, both Old and New Testament, of, of examples where God was angry, or or even Jesus, I think, of the, the scene of him overturning the money changers' tables there in the temple. Certainly there was a an example of Christ being angry, and yet, I guess it's not so much that we experience the emotion of being angry, but... What do we do with it? How do we respond to it? How do we control it or allow it, in some cases, to control us? You go into great depth in their new book called The Answer to Anger, newly published by Harvest House, The Practical Steps to Temper Fiery Emotions. And I guess that that business of tempering the emotions begins, as you suggested, by identifying some of the sources of anger, the reasons why there is that emotion kind of bubbling up with us in in the first place.
4: That's huge. Uh, And I'm glad you're... Pinpointing that, Craig, because if you don't understand the source, then just saying or hearing the words, you know, don't be angry or I shouldn't be angry, it's not going to help. Uh, that's not a solution. Actually, think of it this way anger is purely a secondary response to one or more sources. It's either caused, the anger is caused by hurt. Injustice, fear, frustration. Mm. One of those four or a combination of the, the four. In fact, what I would say, at times we will read about road rage. And uh, it's like if you were driving in your car and all of a sudden you think, oh, here's a cutoff. And you just, you know, you, you squeeze in between two cars and, and you make your, your exit. Well, you know, within 60 seconds, you could be dead. If the person behind you has road rage, it's not personal. It's not like somebody's upset with you as a person for what you did last week. You could be dead because of unresolved anger. And here's your key, unresolved anger that is caused has been caused by hurt, injustice, fear, or frustration, or... Again, the
1: combination. I've I heard people say- describe it this way: that that sometimes there is this sense of almost a well of anger. It seems as if um, they will get upset over seemingly nothing, or will seem to react to disconnected scenarios. You know, the guy who has a tough day at the office, maybe got into a fight with the boss, lost a big contract, comes home at night, and now he's you know kicking the cat and abusive to the wife and abusive to the kids. Right? There's there's an obvious disconnect there. Is part of the problem, June, that we've spent a lot of time looking at the symptoms as opposed to understanding the root cause or these these four sources of anger that you identify in your new book the answer to anger
4: yeah exactly those events currently can have nothing to do with the past so i i think it's valuable to look at past anger which i would call unresolved really it's unresolved past anger versus present anger uh, so, I think an issue is to understand these four sources. Every time we have anger, what what is the cause? Is it hurt? Has somebody really hurt my feelings? Is it um, instead injustice? It may not be personal at all. You can see a child. In fact, that this happened one time when I saw a, a mother say to a little son, "If you don't hurry up." This is exiting out of a a store. If you don't hurry up, I'm going to chop off your legs. Mm. Well, let me tell you, I was a youth director at the time, and it welled up within me. I followed the woman to the door of the business, and this little child, this little boy, had a look of terror in his eyes. And he was scurrying as fast as his little legs could carry him. And I said, excuse me, ma'am. I happen to be a youth director, and I just want to say, you may not be aware, but children take words literally, and he could literally think, you are going to chop off his legs. She was so stunned that I would say anything to her. But, you know, it was the injustice of what she said that propelled me to action. In fact, let me pop in this. The point of us having anger is like a red light on the dashboard of your car. Do I assume that you may own a car of some vehicle? Absolutely. Okay. Do you ever have a light appear that normally isn't there and it's an indicator light?
1: Sure, and we know it an indication of trouble of some sort.
4: Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. And the intent of that red light is not to just shine like a Christmas tree Ornament or Christmas tree light. The point of that indicator light is to propel you to action. So that when you see that on the dashboard of your car, it's to propel you to action to 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 fix it because there's something wrong. It, and, and all it may need is water in the radiator, or it could be some engine problem, and it could cause fire. I mean, it it it, it could be extremely important to act on it to figure out what is causing this. So the red light on the dashboard of the car is good so anger is intended to be good to say something's wrong now in candor you know if i'm jealous because my friend that i love dearly is now going to have lunch with her new friend then i'm the one who needs to rethink this and say something is wrong but it may be that I need to deal with my jealousy. You know what? It, it, I, I, because people can have multiple friends and should have multiple friends, like Jesus did. So, so in other words, it, it may not be just somebody out there that's doing something wrong. It may be that something that I'm interpreting things wrong within my heart. I'm the one that needs to change.
1: Here's an ideal spot to pause. We'll come back to more of our conversation on this edition of Lifeline. June Hunt is with us, a broadcast, Hope for the Heart, weekday afternoons at 2 p.m. right here on KFAX. We're talking about June's latest book, The Answer to Anger. Back with more of our conversation as Lifeline continues